Welcome to the Blue Bloods Podcast. A college game time production. Quarterback draw. He's got a running room and a first down. Watch out. He's got getaway speed. Touchdown. That game on last night had me sweating. I couldn't believe it. It was college game time. A couple of blue bloods out competing. College game day Saturdays. Big time players making plays. All I really need is another weekend full of back to back games. Just me and my friends. Man, I love college. College football. I love March Madness. Man, I love college. We're live. Here we go. Blue Bloods. Episode 39. Blue Bloods podcast. I must admit, our theme song to me never gets old. <laughs> it never gets old. Yeah, if you're watching on YouTube right now, like you've got to go to Spotify or Apple or Google or wherever you listen to podcasts and like go listen to our intro song because it's not on YouTube because we'll get a copyright strike for it, so Every they won't time. let us use it. <laughs> but if you're listening on a streaming platform, go listen because yeah, I mean. Every time I listen to it, it's like I'm hearing it for the first time. <laughs> it's so good. It's super creative. It's super creative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we ripped off old boy. Um, Asher and we just, we just made it better. We just made it, we made it related to college listen, sports. Who, what is it, Michelangelo, that says you, greatness is just taking somebody else's idea and making it better? <laughs> <laughs> and then or we've got... One of those guys. And then we've got... Uh, um, uh, Gus Johnson on there. I mean, come on. Gus, man, from the West Side. Of the- I love Gus. Gus, to me, is my favorite college commentator. Speaking of Gus, I hope he's okay. Because did you see over the weekend yeah. he... I, in fact, we actually did not even plan on talking about this. So I don't we, know what did. the follow-up <laughs> is. But he had to leave at halftime of... um, Was it OU uh, Nebraska, Nebraska that he was OU. calling? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Clat tweeted afterwards um, later that night and said he was fine and he'll be okay. back to call because they're calling Michigan Maryland this weekend. Okay. Um, so okay. he said he, he was fine. So they didn't go into details of what it is, but Clat did tweet at like 8 p.m. on Saturday that he was fine. He'll be good to go next week. Thanks everybody for understanding. So, okay. Good. Yeah, that was a little shocker because I love Gus. Um, oh, yeah. He's on our theme song. I mean, like, who yeah. doesn't love Gus? Gus, so. and on top of that, he's from Detroit. So. <laughs> Just much love for Gus. Okay, so if you're listening and you've been tracking with us this season, you've kind of probably picked up on our template now. We're going to talk top 25 matchups. We're going to talk our biggest surprise. We're going to talk our biggest disappointment, our biggest overreaction or overrated from week three. And then we'll do a look ahead to week four. And typically what we like to do is pick out a game that doesn't feature um, our favorite team which mm-hmm. if you've listened ever even if you've only listened to one episode you should know you know who we where our loyalties uh uh are and where our loyalty loyalties reside and if you're watching on youtube right now it's it's pretty clear. evident <laughs> <laughs> so um all right man you want to get right into it with top 25 yeah top 25 matchups we had uh, BYU, Oregon, Miami, A and M. Which which one you want to start with? I mean, we can start with the one that came up first. BYU, Oregon. Um, shock, shocking, but kind of not shocking. BYU coming off a tough game the week the week prior. 
Um, and then the jump to play Oregon. I, I say all that to say is how good is freaking Georgia? Because Oregon oh. just freaking steamrolled <laughs> BYU. And it, it didn't even, like, look close. It just, That's the Oregon team I expected to show up week one. Um, mm. But it's the thing that I think I've been saying from the get-go with Oregon is which Bo Nicks are you going to get? When right. you have Bo Nicks that's playing good football, that's the Oregon you're going to get. When you have Bo Nicks that's playing like, you know, some of the, what it looked like majority of his career at Auburn was, you get the, the Georgia game. And I think that's just going to be what happens with Oregon this year is which Bo Nicks week in, week out, can he be consistent enough week in, week out to – to show up and do what he does. But, man, Oregon just look faster. They look stronger. They look better. Um, it, it it really didn't look competitive from BYU standpoint. Um, so I, and I was in and out kind of on that game, but um, yeah. it's the game I paid attention to the most. But it's – I'll say all this to say is, like, Oregon, they look good. I don't know if they looked great. I don't know if I left that game going, wow, they're going to challenge USC. Um, I was just like, okay. You know, like good game. It was a, it was, it was an okay game. I just expected more from BYU. Yeah, I did too. But I also, being that my team plays at BYU in a couple of weeks, I, I, I think you gotta also take into account they've got a very unique home field advantage, in my opinion, right. when BYU's at home. Just whether you know because of the altitude and it's it's you know, the timing of those games typically. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it excuses them just getting absolutely pounded by Oregon and not to take anything away from Oregon. But my big takeaway was I saw some Arkansas fans saying, oh, yeah, y'all still worried about BYU? Y'all still worried about BYU? Yeah, I am because we're at BYU. <laughs> and when we're traveling right. those, that you know to that time zone, to that altitude, like it's just – same for Baylor. Like I still think Baylor's a better team. Yeah, and, and they just they got up there. It was a late night time. game. There's just a yep. lot of other factors that can influence the outcome when you're at BYU. And BYU has a good team still, and I think they'll still have a good season. But they've they've got a for an independent schedule. They've got a. Um, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say it's like the heart of the Big Ten or heart right. of SEC, but for an independent, I mean, it's a tougher schedule than what Notre Dame's playing. Oh, absolutely. Um. But yeah, I kind of had that game on too, um, sort of, sort of in and out on it. But um, one I did watch, I'll tell you what, it was a boring game to me, and that was A and M Miami. I fell asleep. Yeah, obviously A and M losing to App State sort of took away the some of the luster that this game would have had to offer. Mm-hmm. including, I mean, if someone had put out there on social media, dang, App State uh, took the dub and took college game day from, from A&M right. because obviously <laughs> college game day would have yeah. been in College Station had they won that game. But um, just a boring, uh, like, and I actually like defensive games, mm-hmm. but this wasn't a game where it felt like I'm watching great defense. It was Miami's offense looked, awful and out of sync mm. A&M's offense didn't look great either they had some explosive plays they they had a real so their their return man uh got them in some good positions as well offensively but it just was such a boring game from a standpoint that like Miami would get it 
and they couldn't really, I mean, they'd move the ball and then they, they wouldn't. It's, it was kind of like, and I think Cowboys fans will understand what I mean by this, but it's kind of like watching a Cowboys game. I'd love to say in the early two thousands, but unfortunately we still have games like that, even this season when, and over the last decade, but where you're just like, okay, how, how, how long until we have a penalty offset this drive or, Hey, we're moving the ball. We're moving the ball. Okay. How, how, how it's only a matter of time before we punt it or have to settle for a field goal yet again, right. or we have a holding penalty that puts us out of field goal range, or we have a holding penalty that kills a good drive. And I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying so much the penalties, mm-hmm. even though Miami did have some, but it was kind of like watching to me, a Cowboys game that where you're going, it's not that we're up against just this stifling defense, like a Georgia right. or something, right? Which is, I mean, we can't execute. We're dropping passes. We're hurting ourselves more than the defense is hurting us. And that's kind of how it felt. I was, I was pulling for Miami for, for this reason, even though app state already took care of AM. and this getting back to my Arkansas fandom. And I'm going to talk about this later, but Arkansas, Arkansas's next two weeks, I feel like are really going to tell me and, and college football fans mm-hmm. what the ceiling is for this squad. Because yeah. we've got A&M and Bama back to back. Now, after those two games, Bama and A&M play. And I had a buddy who said, the SEC officiating crews, which we all know what they're notorious for, but they are going to do everything in their power to protect an undefeated A&M versus an undefeated Bama, a Jimbo versus Saban rematch. Right. Well, <clears throat> A&M losing last Came week to App State, yeah. <laughs> it, it actually kind of helps Arkansas's case because now the SEC is going to be better benefited by an undefeated Arkansas versus an undefeated Bama, which at that point will be a top 10 matchup right. at least. And um, game day will be in Fayetteville, which is good for That'd the SEC. Awesome. Um, but anyways, I was also kind of just hoping Miami would win just because it seems like some wheels are already falling off with the Aggies since that loss. They've got these guys going viral with their yell practice, which that is just the that weirdest, oddest thing. Um They've got freshmen from this, you know, unreal recruiting class class getting suspended. And so I just thought, man, maybe if they could just lose again, coming into, they just kind of stumble into that Arkansas game because I do have some concerns still with Arkansas and I'll talk about those later. But anyways, boring game. There wasn't really like, oh, a big highlight. Someone really stood out to me. It was just kind of like, well, it. My thing with Miami, so I saw the stat. Miami was the first team since 2000 to have 27-plus first downs without a touchdown. This goes back to what I said about Miami at the top of the year. And Miami fans can come after me if they want to. They were so pumped. Crystal Ball, I like him. I I, I, I still believe he can do some cool things in Miami. But everyone, the big hire, everyone was so pumped about all offseason at Miami outside of the head coach was the offensive coordinator that they so-called poached for Michigan, Josh Gaddis. And I want I want to like plant my flag here on this Josh Gaddis thing. Everyone was, oh, we got the Broyles award-winning offensive coordinator. Miami just got to see what happened the last four years Josh Gaddis was at Michigan. Mm-hmm. Everyone's focusing on last season at Michigan. 
I said this before in the pod. I'll say this again, Miami fans. He is not who you think he is. The one year that Michigan had a pretty explosive offense was the one year Jim Harbaugh finally said, I'm going to co, I'm going to bring in a co-offensive coordinator. We're going to do a play calling by committee. We're going to run this offense by committee. You're no longer solo in charge. And we pump out the greatest offensive year Michigan has had in the last decade. Last year, we beat Ohio State. It was a great Jim Harbaugh said, you know what? The speed and space thing is cool. We're going to go back to, yes, running a pistol, running the football, then get into it. And if you look at the offense Michigan is running right now, though mm-hmm. it's been a, a cupcake non-comp, this is the offense Gaddis has swore that he was going to bring to Michigan. Oddly that we're finally running that when he's gone. So I'm I'm not shocked. Um, I was actually shocked, you know, and everyone's saying, well, the use back and they put a 70 on Bethune Cookman. I love HBCUs, Bethune Cookman. I mean, bro, they can't play probably against Allen high school in Texas yeah. right now. Like it's, they're just, they're not that good. So right. I, I think unfortunately, yes, I think crystal ball is going to do some great things. I think as long as you have Josh Gaddis here, your offense is going to be inept. It's going to be anemic. You're going to see a lot of the, I mean, this was, I watched part of that game going, this is how I felt as a Michigan fan the last three, four years with you as my offensive coordinator, and I'm so glad I don't feel this way anymore because it's like first down, first down, first, and then you get to the red zone and you can't score. You mm-hmm. can't put – there's no explosive plays. There's no 20-plus – you know, there, there's no – there's nothing. It's just like, ugh. So, I mean, I was – I wanted it to be a better game. It just felt sloppy. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it felt like the Dollar General version of a big-time game. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, I think – the game down at Appalachian State was way better, personally. Um, yeah, it, it was a. It I might say, that, man, I might be an App State fan this year, man. I'm watching these guys. I like what they're doing. I like what uh, Chase Bryce is. I mean, it, bro, they're a good team. I mean, the walk off hail mary, you, mm. it, it, it couldn't get better. So all I have to say is, in Miami, I mean, and we felt it all off season, week three. This is going to be a big game. The U is back. Crystal Ball, Jimbo Fisher, and it just, eh, it felt to deliver, in my opinion. In Michigan, don't they have like a top three scoring offense right now? Mm-hmm. And here's what's crazy about that. To your point, yes, they've played cupcakes. But that's not even what their team is built to do. That's not even what that offense is designed to do. Like, that's an offense that, like, once they get into the heart of conference, if they win, you know, 24-14, 31-17, like, it's not, a, it's not an offense that's got to go score 50 points a game to right. give the team a chance. It's, it's not even that type of, it's not even an offense designed to score 50 points a game, but they are right now just because they're so dominant on these teams. But I'm, I'm curious to watch them because I'm really, the more and more we get into the season, I, the more and more I'm wanting a 11 and O versus 11 and O the day after, not the day after, but two days after, two Thanksgiving. Days after Thanksgiving, which I think is, which I think is possible. I think, um, and I'll say this, because I'm probably not going to talk about Michigan a lot today, because um, I have other things to talk about. I'll, I'll say this. I think um, this past, obviously I watched, and I watched this past week, JJ was sharp. He wasn't Hawaii sharp, but he was sharp. But mm-hmm. I've come to realize this, Trey, about Michigan, and this is me being objective. They got this. They have the talent on the outside. They're actually more talented in the wide receiver room this year than they are in the running back room, in my personal mm. in my personal opinion. Um I wouldn't be shocked if this is a year that 
it's seeing how they're doing play calling with Roman Wilson on the outside. You got Ronnie Bell. You got Cornelius Johnson, who I think Mel Kuyper's predicting to be like a day two, day three pick. Um, you know, you got some talent there. It wouldn't shock me if they, they start posting 38, 35, 40 points yeah. a game. Um, and then you put J.J. in there who just, even on his even on a so-so day that we just had, the yeah. talent he brings, it's it just opens up the offense so much more when you got a quarterback that can do that with his legs. Yeah. No, I'm saying this subjectively. The dude has an NFL arm. He has yeah. the NFL package right now. Um, it just changes the game for you and where you can go from, you know, last year, and I love Cade, where, man, if you throw a pick, you're like, ah, if we get behind, can we score versus two? Right. If J.J. throws a pick, I'm like, eh, I would prefer you not to, but I think, yeah, I'm not worried. Can we go score in a right. minute next? I'm just not. So yeah. I, I am interested to see how this I, – I very – and especially what we saw from Michigan State. We'll talk about that later. And some of these other teams in the Big Ten East. Um, I really think this 11-0 versus 11-0 going into the shoe thing can happen, and that's what college football is all about, man. I think everybody would like to see that. Yeah, there's not that pressure on Michigan this year to like quote unquote stay on schedule with the offense and not get behind the chains and maybe even rely on your defense or special teams to get you a you know get you, get you a, a turnover, very too. opportune turnover or even a, a score. But yep. All right, let's get to surprise or surprises from week three. Go ahead, man. You want to kick it off? Yeah, my first one is Florida State. Um, ah. Is that yeah, yeah. They're on my list? They were on okay. My list. Good. I'm glad <laughs> I went first then, because that was the Friday night game. I really didn't expect to get like locked in on that game. I sort of just put it on the TV and had some family stuff going on. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And as I kept like circling back to check on it, I was like, "Man, this is a." It's and a so game. by the second half, things in my house had sort of just like settled down, and I just locked in and. I was into that game and I can't figure out Florida state. Like, who are they? It's like, they're not good, but they're loaded with some, you know, NFL talent at certain spots. They don't play very well, but then all of a sudden they win. And it just, it seems like they're only getting more and more confident. I, I think Norvell's a good coach. I think he did some good things at Memphis. I think he's had to battle through some things at Florida state. I know this is probably coming into the season. It was a make or break. It still might be a make or break type year for him. But there's also this part of me that likens them to that Miami squad that um, it may have been Mark Rick's first year at Mm -hmm. Miami as their head coach. It was when they debuted the turnover chain. And I think they went on like a, 10 game win streak and uh, actually I believe Pitt was the one that knocked them off late in the season and they went into the ACC championship either 10 and 1 or no they yeah I think they were 10 and 11 and 1 maybe or 10 and 2 I think it was 11 and 1 because it would have been like a top five matchup in the ACC championship Mm -hmm. but then Clemson just completely annihilated them and then I think they got manhandled in the bowl game against Wisconsin. So it was one of those deals where you looked at it and you go, man, they just, they had enough right. to beat the teams that were on their schedule, but they weren't really like an elite true right, right top team. And that's what I'm wondering if this Florida State team is, but it's like, hey, if they keep winning and they keep 
you know, keep taking care of business, can they sneak into the ACC championship? And that's where I, again, I don't know because I know they got Clemson on the schedule. I know they've got Miami obviously on the schedule. They're going to have to play Florida. Um, God, they got that dude six seven. What is he like a four four? That receiver. Yeah. I mean, but then it's, their quarterback went down. And that's what I thought. The quarterback went down. I thought, ah, but the backup looked good. Man. He did. He so I'm going really good. And and you could argue that the quarterback on the other team is the best in the conference. Yep. I'm trying to think who else is in that conference, but DJ. But eh. he's, not he's not doing anything. Malik Cunningham is that dude. Yeah, I mean. There's probably someone I'm not thinking of right now, which is okay. I'm not like this big ACC guy. But I would say Cunningham could probably go start for any of these other teams in the conference, possibly. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and, and and yet another dagger to the heart of um, my dark horse to win the ACC. I, didn't pre- I did not predict them to win it. Let me be clear there. I, I still have NC State, and they are still alive and well. Mm-hmm. But I thought Louisville might be a team – it's a make or break year for their coach. I felt like had the best quarterback in the conference. Maybe they could go in and make a make a dark horse run. But now it's looking like Florida State, who I think might have been yours. I did. I said Florida State. I said Florida State. I thought yeah. they were going to have it. I mean, just talent wise. Um, and man, I like that backup. I can't think of his name. Um, I can't either. But yeah, he looked good. I think um, my surprise though this week here is um because we're on surprise. Yeah, I would man. I'm gonna go Syracuse. Yeah, Dino Babers and those boys are three and zero. Yeah, big man. I had that game kind of on off to the side because um, you know Purdue was kind of like our Cinderella story this year. Um, oh yeah, I know. You know they they were supposed to be and um, I had high hopes for them. I did too, but <laughs> I'm I'm looking at uh, Syracuse man and they play some good ball. I mean you know they they op- they open up the season against Louisville, which. And they stomped Louisville 31-7. to Then they mm-hmm. played UConn 48-14. Won the walk-off with 11 seconds this past week, 32-29. to um, They got UVA this week, which they could win. They should win that game. Then they have Wagner, which is the FCS opponent, mm-hmm. which sets them up in three weeks, a potentially undefeated ranked game against NC State. Mm. And I don't think people understand, like, Dino Babers was on the hot seat this year coming yep. into – Coming into Syracuse and his early tenure, they seem to have some success. You, you kind of saw some things going. Then I don't, I don't really know what went left. Um, obviously Syracuse isn't really normally in the national media, and they kind of get lost. But I, I'm looking at them, man, and it's like in, NC State has looked vulnerable. If they go in and they're motivated, and it's at home, so it's in the dome, mm-hmm. um, and they beat the NC State, man, that's you know that's that's really good. So that. I love that game. I mean, Purdue's always going to give you a thriller, whether they win or lose. Um, and I actually thought Purdue was probably going to like win this game, but yeah. Syracuse looked tough. Uh, their offense was—they looked—it looked comparable. It, they could move the football and have the to be able to walk to win that game. Drive down the field, no time really left on the clock. Scored a touchdown with eleven seconds left. It was just a great game all the way through and through. So. Biggest surprise, and as I'm looking at Syracuse's, I mean, they're about to get into the meat of their schedule. So they got UVA, Wagner, NC State, then Clemson, then Notre Dame, then Pitt. So within three, three in three weeks, they have I call like the meat of their schedule. So yeah, because it's NC State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Pitt, then FSU, then Wake Forest. So we'll see where they are over the next couple of weeks. 
But as of right now, man, I was like very impressed with what I saw from Syracuse. And um, as we know, man, ACC, you just never know what can go. Like you don't know yeah. what NC State team you're going to get. You don't know. We'll see where Clemson's at in a couple of weeks if is the true freshman phenom going to be the starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Clearly, we don't know what's happening at Notre Dame this year. Um, and then Pitt, you know, they lost one. And then, like I said, we'll know what Florida State's. So, Syracuse, man, they, I, I can see them winning, potentially if the ball goes their way, seven games. They should be bowl eligible, I'm hoping. By the end. But great game against Purdue, man. That was my biggest surprise this, uh, this past week. Yeah. Um, I got one more, actually, for surprise. And it's Penn State, dude. Oh, against Auburn. Yeah. Man. I, I didn't really I didn't watch it. Watch that game. I didn't watch it. But I was watching the score to that game and then I'd kind of check in on it here and there. And I mean, they just dominated Auburn. And this was supposed to be a revenge game for Auburn mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from last year. Mm-hmm. Penn State, I mean, they should have lost to Purdue to open the season. Kind of like you said, they just they're, they're, they they so they the the most Penn State thing. They just let them hang around, let them hang around, and then they go win the game that they shouldn't win. Well, that wasn't the case with Auburn. I mean, they dominated them, and I guess this Auburn situation it has to just be bad. I know their quarterback situation isn't ideal, mm-hmm. but I really thought coming into this season with Harson and all the drama that happened throughout the off season that maybe there would be this us against us against the world mentality. And I didn't like project them to, you know, be at the top of the sec or anything. Right. But I did project them to have like a big bounce back year, which doesn't necessarily have to include a win over Penn state, but my goodness, like be competitive. Yeah. And I'm not going to do what I did last year. Because I remember last year after Penn State won that whiteout game against Auburn, I came on here and said, hey, I was right about the fact that I said, I think this is the year someone else could come out of the Big Ten and not other than Ohio State, or I should Mm -hmm. say Big Ten East other than Ohio State. I was just wrong on who I thought could do it because I thought maybe this could be the year James Franklin gets over that hump gets to the Big Ten Championship, and then has an opportunity to play, play uh, in the CFP. Because that was what I was saying. I was like, I think it's yep. going to be a different team than Ohio State that wins the Big Ten and makes the CFP. You were saying you think it was going to be Michigan, which ended up being right. I was saying, gosh, this it could be time for James Franklin. And then he lo- you know, I think it was the next week. It was like, what, a top five, top three matchup with Iowa Mm-hmm. loses his quarterback, lose the game, and then the season just kind of stumbled from there into a, you know, bowl matchup with Arkansas where they just got manhandled in the Outback Bowl. But I'm not going to say that because the one Penn State game I did watch, I wasn't impressed. I was very impressed with their corner. Uh, Joey Porter. <laughs> yeah, junior. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at the box score. I Thank God I have YouTube TV because I actually wanted to go back and watch that game. Go watch replays, but it, it's came out, man. They had they signed the number one running back in the country last year, um, mm-hmm. and he went for 124 yards and two tuds. Um, so total, Penn State ran for 245 yards against Auburn. So I feel like if you can do that against anybody, you're gonna probably you're gonna have a good chance of winning. Because I'm looking at Clifford's line. Clifford, I mean, he went four for 19 for 178, no touchdowns, no interceptions. 
So I feel like if Penn State can run the football, which I think is what they're probably going to try to hang their hat on this year, mm-hmm. it's like, can we run the football? Sean Clifford, please don't throw a turnover. Don't, like, just don't turn the ball over. I think, you know, they, they, they should win a couple games because, I mean, even looking at their schedule, it's pretty after here they have uh, Central Michigan, they have Northwestern. So that's two more tune-up games, which is going to lead them to the maze out against Michigan, um, which by that point, as long as Michigan doesn't drop one, should be a top 10 matchup. Yeah. Top 10 matchup. Then after that, they have many who been impressive so far, man. Minnesota's look good with Ibrahim. Yeah. Uh, Ibrahim, whatever. I don't know how. Then they haven't have, played anybody, but they finally got a power five opponent and still dominated them. They dominated them. Colorado's horrible. They're terrible. So, yeah, I'm not ready to declare Penn State's back. I mean, we'll see what they do against Michigan. Then they have many. Then they have OSU. Then they have IU, Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan State. So, if they if they beat Michigan, then you're like, oh man, but I just currently I don't see that happening. Well, my question too is, I don't I don't think they beat Michigan either. But my question is, is their starting quarterback healthy by that point? You know, I mean, does yeah, he stay healthy all season? Like that's another big question mark. So he's already hurt game one. Do you have any other surprises? No, 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 no. It was it was a pretty uh. It was an okay weekend college football. So it was an okay. It. I agree. It was an okay weekend. It, it was better than okay, like, if your team won. Yeah. Even though if your team probably didn't play anybody noteworthy, unless yeah. your team is Oregon or Miami or A&M or whatever. But so, disappointment. Why don't you start this one? I have one disappointment, and that's it. So, hopefully you don't have the same one. Huh. <sighs> Disappointed. I'm going to tell you where I was disappointed. Um, yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm disappointed in Texas, man. Okay. I'm, I'm actually, like, really disappointed in Texas. Like, I feel like this was a – and I actually watched that game because it was – UTSA was lead, It was yeah. tied at halftime. Um, and it was close to the fourth quarter because then they threw a pick mm-hmm. six. So the score doesn't reflect really how that game looked. Right, um, and I felt like this was an opportunity for Texas to be like, we played a tight game against Bama. We're gonna, to your point, which you're like, I don't believe Texas at all. It's the Texas we normally get. They come out, they play hot. That was the Super Bowl, and that's exactly what they look like, man. I, I felt like this was a game to come out. You know, you probably should have hung. It should have been a very. I should have looked at that game and be like, oh, they're just manhandling UTSA. The forty-one twenty should have been. Oh, they put their backups in around the third, fourth quarter, and, you know, that's why the score. No, if you really watch that game, that was a very close game till I think like seven minutes left, eight minutes in the fourth quarter, maybe ten. Um, but it was a very close game because I remember I was texting somebody's about it. So, it's just Texas, man. I just – Texas being Texas, I think, yeah, I, that, that was kind of dis- – I expected them – like I was really looking forward to see, okay, Sark, are you going to get these boys back up? Are you going to come out? They should blow the door. And don't get me, UTSA is no slouch. But if Texas wanted to play like they played last week, they should have blew the doors off of them. And after halftime, yeah. you know, you're, you're putting your second, third, fourth stringers in, letting them get some run, and you're getting prepared for your Big 12 run. So, Yeah, I'll, I'll never argue anything that uh, puts down Texas in any kind of way. I mean, I even texted you. I said, before that game even started, I said something to the effect of, something about the meltdown when UTSA upsets Texas. I wanted to like make that as a bold prediction, but I was like, ah, I just don't know if UTSA has enough to really pull it off. Yeah. But then to your point, they 
had the possession with the opportunity to go take the lead, but then the pick six. And then obviously B. John Robinson. I mean, he he took over that game. So yeah. um and I lied. I have two disappointments, but Actually, one of them. One. Okay. On. Okay. So I'll I'll do my first one. My first disappointment is Mississippi State. Yes. Yeah. They yeah. had the game in yep. total control. I'm not gonna say they had the game one, right? It was right 16-10 late in the third. But they were in control. And their offense was moving the ball well. Look, we talk about it all the time. LSU is just a team that they're, they're athlete for athlete. Pretty much every game they play, they're either going to be better athlete for athlete or they're going to be just as good. Yep. And when you're playing a team like Mississippi State, LSU athlete for athlete is going to be like they should win that game, right? Right, right. But Mississippi State playing well, that quarterback is very accurate. They were in control of the game, up 16-10, late in the third, driving in LSU territory, looking to go take a two-possession lead. Yeah. That Then the game just completely does a 180. And this is where my disappointment for Mississippi State comes in because I don't feel like LSU beat Mississippi State as much as Mississippi State beat Mississippi State. Like, yeah. they gave them this game. And it was fourth and one. I think they were on like the LSU's 40 yard line. So they were kind of in that no man's land where they're not really going to kick a field goal, but it's fourth and one. Like you got a chance here to go down and in some regards, put the dagger in the heart because LSU's offense was horrible. I mean, they looked Mm -hmm. horrible to this point. Yeah. That guy was making some plays with his legs, but outside of that, they were, they had nothing going. Yeah. So it's fourth and one, and they they don't get it. They fail to convert. So you're like, uh-oh. LSU's got the ball. They've got good field position. You know, they can go down and score. Well, Mississippi State stands pat. The defense comes out and forces a three and out. Hmm. So it's like, oh, okay. Then they muff the punt, and this is how their game ends. <laughs> this is crazy. They muff a punt inside their own tent. LSU scores. They go three and out. LSU scores. They go three and out again. LSU scores. They throw an interception. Game over. So their last four possessions or opportunities for possessions of that game were a muffed punt, which was a turnover, back-to-back three and outs, and an interception. That'll do it. After failing to convert on fourth and one. Because usually you fail to convert a fourth and one and the whole momentum shifts. But then your defense comes out and gets a three and out. And it's like, okay, we survived it. We survived it. We've got the ball back. Let's drive back down. Kill some clock. It's fourth quarter. Muff punt inside the 10. I mean, even an offense that hasn't been doing anything all day. If you've got at least one athlete that's better than everybody else on the field, you're going to score a touchdown from inside the 10. Right. And it's not like Mississippi State has like this stifling defense. It's more about LSU's offense just – I mean, we saw it. We saw it, you know, that Florida State game, and they just yeah. – they're one-dimensional. Right. Um, and then I'm going to do my second disappointment, and you can do yours because this one's really quick, and it's actually more of a – it's one I was going to put on the surprise line, but I, I like – I want to do it this mm. way. My other disappointment is in college game day mm. for not going to Kansas Duke in week four. Yes, I was going to say that. Come bro. on, Kansas. Can't I, Like – 
Last week, I wanted to talk about Kansas, and I thought, no, let's wait one more week, kind of like we did with the UCLA thing. They now they are 3-0. and Dude, for them, that's more games than they've won in a season probably in the last decade. Decade. <laughs> I mean, or close to it. You know, they won two games last year, and one of them was to Texas. But yep. they're 3-0. and They're one of the top-scoring offenses in the country. Now, look, they haven't exactly played Murderer's Row or anything. But playing good football, they're playing good football. What is it? Lance Leipold, um, Mm -hmm. guy from Buffalo. He's kind of being tossed around. I've seen for, for that Nebraska job. Yep. But you know how it is. You get a job like Nebraska open up this early in the season. Anyone who wins a game, you know, like, like, Hey, Oh, like they're looking at pets. Hey, this guy's, you know, (laughs) Hey, this, this, this guy's dog, his 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 owner won a big game last weekend. Maybe we put him on the hot board for the Nebraska job, whatever. So, but they're playing good ball. I would love to see them play spoiler for some teams in the Big 12. I, I know Absolutely. like some people are like, what are you talking about? They're, I don't think they're like to a point where they're going to go compete for the Big 12, but no. I do think this is a team that could play spoiler, similar to what Iowa State kind of was. Mm, before they became a team that was considered a quote unquote favorite. Yep. And man, and I agree. Like, I feel like game day, if game day, just to be in this point, if game day wants to go to the next level or continue with it, I think game day needs to stay away from bigger schools and go to the small school. Cause the small schools love it. Like the turnout for app state was Insane. amazing. And it, and I thought it was cool. Like I actually watched some of college game day today and like Marty Smith's story about the life in Boone, North Carolina. And, mm. like, I think that stuff is more intriguing to me because, you know, like, Florida, because <clears throat> they're going to Florida, Tennessee, which is going to be cool. But I don't know. Maybe we're in this. I feel like maybe this is where I'm at in life as a 33-year-old guy. I'm like, I understand what Florida and Georgia is. I've been around the game long enough. Yeah, it would be cool to see a school like Duke and Kansas get some love and college game day being there. And for those universities, that means a ton. And I think it's a more unique storyline than – Florida, Tennessee, which we're going to get every year. Yeah, well, I mean, you could, for me, and I know this isn't going to appeal to everybody, but then you bring in Bill Self. You bring in Coach K, even though he's not Duke's coach anymore. He's still right. going to – he'll still be coaching them some capacity, I'm yeah, sure. Be I bet he still has an office, <laughs> and I bet he's still watching. But you you you, you start to bring in the, the blue blood basketball aspect into the – I mean, like, there's just, to me, some cool things you could do there. Um and like the quad at Duke is amazing. That'd have been a crazy yeah. place to have. Like it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Who cares? But what? Or yeah, get like uh, you know, Bill Self and Coach K could be your guest uh, uh, picker, your pickers. pickers. You know yeah, what I mean? Or, or or find some players. Get you know Grant Hill and I don't know you why JJ Paul Redick. Pierce is the first. Yeah, JJ Redick. Oh, that, that would have been, been a cool perfect. guest picker. I'm trying to think of yeah. a Kansas, and the only guy I can think of is Paul Pierce, but I know there's there's Joel Embiid. He's others. a good one. You oh, yeah, he's a good Joel. personality. That, that mean, would have been a cool yeah. personality to bring him. Like, they missed the mark on that. And I feel like everyone, you know, a bunch of people on Twitter even said that, like, they missed the mark on this Duke-Kansas thing, which I think would have been a cool. Yeah. If, if I was in the game day office at this point, I'm like, let's find all the little teams that are, like, doing good, and let's just make this season about that. Unless you have, like, a – Day after Thanksgiving, eleven and zero Ohio State versus eleven and zero Michigan. Okay, like 
that's must-see TV. But I, I'm just saying this. As the casual fan, I'm not even a casual fan. I'm not really excited about Florida, Tennessee. Like, yeah. I, I'm just not. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, what other... I just feel like this is the season for, like, the little guys that are taking all the attention. I mean, the fun belt, they're doing – I mean, I love that we've yeah. just coined them that. The fun belt has been playing good football. Um, you know, you got Kansas playing some good football. Duke. It, it And obviously it's only four weeks into the season, but we – I feel like this has been the season of, like, chaos already. And I think, man, just – I think game day should embrace it. Like, a couple years ago they went to North Dakota State. Go to North Dakota State versus mm-hmm. something. Like, that's a cool game. I think – if I'm game day in this season, I think the casual fan will probably be more attracted to the smaller market team versus the the big the big team. And I think just maybe it's just because that's a culture. You see this great flight from major cities into yeah, like you're just seeing. I just moved from a major city to a small suburb in Florida. I mean, it's it's kind of what's happening in culture. People are trying to get back to the American life, quote unquote, like in places like Boone, North Carolina, and. Um, Lawrence, Kansas, and Durham, North, uh, North Carolina. Like, those are those places that, anyways, yeah. you give it up. Well, the, the thing is, is I kind of went back and forth. So when you kind of saw there being a chance of, okay, a 3-0 Kansas and a 3-0 Duke early in the season, I thought, okay, there's a chance college game day could go. But then when App State beat A&M and it killed an undefeated, probably top 10 or, or or top 15 matchup of Miami A&M, which would have been college game day and college station. I thought, well, if they're going to App State, there ain't no way they're going to follow up going to App State with going to Duke, Kansas. Then I saw the reaction that going to App State provided, and I'm going like you just said, okay, they'll get that same exact same environment. atmosphere if they go Kansas-Duke um, and and so then I'm thinking, okay, well maybe they will do it, and then no, they, we get no. Tennessee, Florida. Well, they took whatever. the easy way out. But anyways, my last disappointment. Um, I hate to say, it, man, it's my my second team in the Big Ten that I love so much, man, Nebraska. Mm. Mm. First first five minutes of that game, I was we were texting, we're like, oh, <laughs> oh, Mickey and, Joseph, let's go, yeah. and then it was just like, wah, 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 wah. It was, it was a man. I mean, and shout out to Venables. He took his foot off the gas. Cause yeah. Oh, if he wanted to, he could have hung seventy on him. Yeah. Easy. Like shout out to Venables. The respect to Mickey Joseph and that's to take his foot off the gas. Let it. Let him die a slow death. Which I mean, we seen in Nebraska. Man, they got rid of their DC after their blowout loss. Like mm. goes back to your point we made a couple weeks ago. Well, it was just last week about the control they're going to give Joseph. Are they going to give him the Dabble Sweeney audition of this is your team? Right. You have full freedom. Um, and you know what? Personally, I'm glad they're giving that to him. Let him have full control of this for the rest of the season. Let's see. And at this point, if I'm Nebraska, I'm like, all right, we just had the most chaotic first three weeks anybody could have. We flew to Ireland. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we lost. <laughs> flew to Ireland and lost. We flew. We played uh, Georgia Southern. Was it Georgia Southern that they lost mm-hmm. to? Lost Georgia Southern. Uh, we barely beat South Dakota, and OU came in here, our, our former rivals, and just hung, just took us to the woodshed. Great. The first quarter of our season done. We we still probably have eight more games left. We have a, a two thirds. 
you're going there because they're going into a bye week. I'm interested to see if Mickey Joseph can just say, okay, we got through the chaos. That's the chaos. No one could have predicted those four weeks for us. It was chaotic. It sucked. Now we have two weeks to get our mind ready going into Big Ten play, and maybe we can make some noise in the Big Ten West. Because the Big Ten West is wide open. Purdue isn't looking good. Wisconsin got upset last week. Um, Minnesota is probably the the favorite currently because Iowa's looked bad. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I think Mickey Joseph can really come in this like, okay, we're already already 0-1 in Big Ten play. Let's go try to – Let's at least try to go steal six games out of these next eight. Mm. If we can steal six, and I believe that. I think if he can come in and steal six out of the next eight, he'll get a fair shot. I know there's a bunch of other names rolling around there. We'll see how this thing plays out. But um, I think he has to win at least six out of the next eight to really feel. And if and say if he wins six out of the next eight, goals, goals bowling, because that will put them at seven wins at that point. And with the bowl game, so now we're talking seven out of the last nine. After coming out of chaos into that, I think he'll get a fair shot. But I am disappointed. I thought, um, man, those first five minutes had me hype. Yeah. You know, defense, they play good. Then they freaking got the score. Then you're like, oh, here we go. This may be it. And here's the thing. If Dylan Gabriel, and I said this, I was like, if he doesn't go run for that 65-yard touchdown, I think the momentum was definitely on Nebraska's side. Yeah. You know, um, but unfortunately you let a quarterback run for 60-plus yards and for a touchdown. Well, I'm starting to wonder, excuse me, with Mark Whipple, like like how good is he once he's off script? Because mm-hmm. his play script, I mean, it's it's like poetry in motion. I mean, I'm thinking about that first drive in North, Northwestern, first drive OU, I mean, I had I didn't watch Nebraska for the the other two games that yeah. one they shouldn't have lost and lost and the other one was closer than it should have been. So I don't know what they looked like on those opening drives in those games, but it does seem like when he's on script, that that offense is just clicking. But then once he's off the script and it's, you know everyone's making their adjustments and things of that nature, and we're calling plays on the fly now, we're live. It just seems like they can't get anything going. Um, but yeah, that that was disappointing. Um, I feel like I had something to say on that coaching search, but we've got pretty much the whole season to speculate. I do think there might be a little bit of delusion if people think Urban Meyer would take that job right now, or at least after that OU game. Obviously, yeah. there was the report that he met with Trev Alberts, or yeah, the AD. If I if I miss if I miss yeah, said his name, sorry, but. Um, the AD and I'm sure it was more from a like consulting standpoint, maybe with mm-hmm. like this deep, 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 wishful thinking. The thing about Urban Meyer that we all know is he's going to take a job somewhere where he's got a chance to win the conference immediately and be competing for a national championship by a second year. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just, that's, that's been his whole career. Like he's always been, in position to do that. Like if you're a good enough coach where you can do that, why wouldn't you? Right. Right. He waited till the right opportunity presented itself. um, When he took the bowling green job and they won like eight back to back eight and nine win games, which for them, that was like the first time that program had done that. Right. Then he, then he's able to get the Utah job with Alex Smith. Remember what he did there. Then he gets yep. Florida and Florida. He's like, okay, I can literally recruit a national championship team without even having to leave 
my state. My state. Right. And so like, I just, I don't see it, but, and I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to get, I don't want to rabbit trail on a Nebraska coaching search conversation this week. So I'm not, I'm going to stop myself there. Um, if you're good on disappointment, we can move to overreaction overrated. And I don't care who goes first on this one because I'm confident ours are not the same. All right. Um, so I can go overrated because I've been waiting to talk about this one. You know who my overrated is this week. I know who it is. You already know. The Michigan State Spartans. <laughs> Tuck is coming. Hey. <laughs> Tuck oh, no. is coming. There's this meme floating around the internet from the Simpsons episode where everyone looks back at Bart and they're like, say it again. And he's like, it says Tuck is coming and everyone burst out laughing. People are going to look at that score and going to be like, oh, but Brandon, it was close. No, 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 no. That shows me you did not watch this game. Michael Penix Jr., who I said Washington was my dark horse for the Pac-12 this year, put on a clinic. Washington, they out-hit them. They out-ran them. They out-passed them. They beat them in every facet of the game, and it was marvelous to watch. I enjoyed it. And it was that one point where you're like, I think they got like a fourth down stand and you see Tuck like yelling out and I'm like, oh, I'm like, uh oh, are we about to have it? And no, we they end up having a safety like the next play. Um Dude, it just it was so great to see. And here's my here's my here's my criticism. Cause we the secondary was what it was last year. It was atrocious. Let's just call it what it was. It was atrocious last year. You know who's the D B coach mm-hmm. for Michigan State? Mel Tucker. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying, bro. And he get, yeah, we're gonna get that tightened up. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, Mel, Michigan State is who I thought they were, and mm-hmm. I said it at the top of the season. I thought it was a shout out to Mel Tucker, man, the finesse god. I mean, the dude got a big time contract, yep. and it worked out perfect for him. You know, his name he he did what he did at Michigan State. His name was hot on the coaching trail. Michigan State put their money where their mouth was. Which is so great for them. I'm so happy they did that. But my biggest concern coming into the season was this. And I and I said it. He hit he struck gold with Kenneth Walker, who was a I'm not gonna say a generational talent, but he was a game changing talent at the college football level. Kenneth Walker the third won them about three games by himself, four mm-hmm. games by himself. Um and I said I was like, I don't know if if Mel Tucker can replicate the success he had last year with the same strategy as I'm just going to go mine the transfer portal every year and hopefully I strike gold on one of these guys. because um, And that's everyone last year, they were all males. You know, he has a whole transfer portal team. They're treating it like NFL free agency, and they know the deal when they get here. And don't get me wrong, like there's a few transfer portal darlings every year that we're like, wow. But – Let's just be honest, Trey, since the 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 revealing of the transfer portal, there's very few hits that come in every year where you're like, Wow, thank God that kid came in. You 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 don't hear that as all as much as we like to claim that yeah. we do. Um and my concern is this obviously is if a guy's in a transfer portal, like Kenneth Walker was a that was a special situation. The dude's at Wake Forest, he gets out who he was on no one's board last year mm-hmm. as the best running back in the, nobody's board in the transfer portal. So shout out to his team for for finding that. But it's like 
most of these guys are in a transfer portal. They're in a transfer portal for a reason. One, they're they're not playing where they're at. So that's mm. that's a big part of it. Whether they come from a big program or not, they're not playing where they're at, which normally shows me. And now we know that sometimes programs could be you didn't get along with head coach or your position. That nine times out of ten, though, eight times out of ten, you're leaving because you couldn't hack it. Right. Like you're, you're you're not cracking the starting line. And I know I hear, hey, my coach didn't want me. I, I hear all that. It's you got to the next level and you couldn't crack it. And I don't care how many guys who brings in from Georgia. Because that was a big thing. They brought a guy in from Georgia this past year, which I was nervous about. Like, man, okay. And they brought a guy in from SEC schools. And, and bro, they are exactly who I said they were going to be. They have a mediocre offense. Don't get me wrong. Keon Coleman is nice. I like him at the receiver position. We'll see what who Peyton Thorne really is because I feel like everyone. Now, we'll give him this. He does show up on fourth. The kid has some stones on fourth down. Mm-hmm. Like, when it's fourth down and he has to get it, I will give Peyton Thorne that. But that defense, atrocious. Michael Penix looked like a Heisman Trophy contender. But I might say what that wasn't Michael Penix I saw at Indiana, and maybe that's who he would have been behind a competent O-line and a mm. great coaching staff throughout his time at Indiana. So I'm happy to see him bounce back. But I think Michigan State is exactly who I said they were going to be. I said they were going to be a 7-5 and five team. Right. I believe they were that last year. Kenneth Walker just saved them. Um, the back end is still atrocious. I think Ohio State's going to have a field day with them. I think Michigan's going to. I'm convincing my wife to even let me go to that game, even if it's by myself, because I want to be in the big house when we just run amok on them. But that's my biggest overrated, man. I think Michigan State is who Michigan State is. I love Mel Tucker. I believe – I think he's a good coach. I don't know if he can bring that type of consistent success Sustained. to – yeah. To Michigan's D'Antonio did it for that error. Mm-hmm. And he did it off three and he did it his way. Three star guys, under recruited guys, mm-hmm. we're gonna be tough. I think that's how you build a contender at Michigan State. I just don't feel like Michigan State will ever be the team that can go out with the likes of Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, Clemson, SC, Michigan, and out recruit them. The funding's different. The the notoriety is different. The everything that comes with it's just Michigan State's a good tier two team, tier two, mm-hmm. tier three school that's going to play the upset every now and then. And every couple years, like if you take the D'Antonio era out, every couple years they filled a decent team that's like okay, that's what they're supposed to do. But elite, never that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they just gave Mel Tucker ninety five million dollars. To yeah. prove to prove that, and so if he wants to keep doing that, I'm fine. I love it. Like I love it. Keep trying to, and I'm sure he he's probably beat us once or two more times over the nine year span. But anybody that even watched the game when we played them last year, we got robbed of the touchdown before the halftime, and mm-hmm. Kenneth Walker did Kenneth Walker things, yeah. and I can. It, it just made me so happy, bro. I enjoyed every bit of that beat down on every bit of it. So that's my overrated Michigan State. All right, well, mine is kind of an overreaction more. Um, I'm going to talk about this Missouri State-Arkansas game, okay? And nobody watched it unless you are a fan of one of those two teams. And the reason why I say it so emphatically is because, one, it's not that's not a game you would just watch as a casual fan or, or, or a big fan looking for a good game to watch. But it wasn't even on, like, a channel. It was – only on the ESPN app, which most people, when they're watching games, they're only going to watch a game that's on the app if it's their team. 
mm-hmm. right? Because you can't just flip back and forth channels or whatever. But anyways, Missouri State almost won that game, like mm-hmm. legitimately. And there was some overreaction to, you know, or from from different aspects of it, from the Arkansas fan base of, oh man, we're this, we're that, we're unprepared, we're getting out coached, which all that was true. Um, I'm not gonna say we weren't prepared, but I'm gonna say we were out coached, and Pittman even acknowledged that. But then there's also from the outside of, oh, they're a top 10 team. They're not a top 10 team. Da, 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 da. They're, they can't even, they're almost, they're about to lose to an FCS school. Here's just what I want to say about this game. It was a very weird game for Arkansas players and coaches, but for two totally different reasons. And... I'm so glad we won because there was a, I was not worried at all until we got midway through the fourth quarter and I thought, oh no, this might actually happen. Because my prediction going into this game was that it was going to be very close until it's deep a, into the third quarter and then Arkansas would start to pull away. It was Bobby Petrino's return to Fayetteville for the first time since the whole incident that happened you know, 11 years ago. His team was going to be ready. Um, He himself was going to be ready. He's been waiting for this moment for the past 11 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had former players there. In fact, Joe Adams, who was one of the star players at Arkansas during the Petrino era, like just got inducted into the Arkansas Sports Hall of Fame, like I want to say the night before. Um, that game. So there were a lot of players at that game that were former Petrino guys. Those guys love Petrino. Okay. Like I interviewed Ryan Mallett on a, on a, on a podcast, like the way him and then some of the other players that reached out, like as a result of that interview, when we started getting some of that, those clips up on social media, like they love that dude. And if anything, like, even if they don't love him, they acknowledge that he was an offensive genius. Right. And what was crazy during that game was they just put on a masterpiece. Now, he's evolved his offense since he was at Arkansas to 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 fit a dual threat quarterback, right? Like you saw what he did with Ryan Mallett and then what he did with Lamar Jackson, like two mm-hmm. totally different uh, styles of quarterbacks, but producing the same type of results. He still runs that pro-style scheme, but he's found a way to implement a dual-threat quarterback to just make it click. And that's what he has at Missouri State, Jason Shelley, which I know this – Yes, he's from Frisco Lone Star. I was going to say some of our listeners will will know that connection because he went to Frisco – or he went went to Lone Star High School in Frisco, Texas, led them to the state championship game. Twice, right? He he only got them there once. Okay. Uh, But they went on some deep – playoff runs. runs yeah he was good yeah. i remember him but took him took him to the, the he almost took him i think in 3a or whatever it was the 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 they were at a lower division because they were mm-hmm. a newer school and then his senior year i believe it was they made it to the 5a state championship game and they think they were the first football team out of frisco they were to make it and I can't remember. I think there was like a Frisco high team that made it like back in the fifties or something, you know, 
something like that. I think maybe not, but anyways, he could play. He was a division one player and he ended up, I'm not sure his whole story is how he went, got from Utah to Missouri state, Utah to Utah state, then state, Utah state to Missouri, Missouri state. state. So he has that going. It's his second year in Petrino's system. I think if you look at Petrino's history, coaching quarterbacks, when he's got someone in his system for the second or third year, magic happens. I mean, Ryan Mallett took him, took, took Arkansas to the sugar bowl. Lamar Jackson wins a Heisman. Tyler Wilson, even though it wasn't his second year in the system, it was his first year as a starter being in the system for a few years, gets Arkansas a top five finish, wins the most games in a season in school history. So like you knew there was going to be, but here's where I talked a long way around to say this from the player's perspective, they're thinking about these next two weeks. They're not worrying about the history with Petrino and all that. Mm -hmm. They were too young to even know or care about any of that stuff. Anyways, they're flat, not because, oh, Coach Petrino's on the other sideline. They're flat because they're thinking about A&M and Bama the next two weeks, where if we find a way to win both of those games, now all of a sudden playing for an SEC championship isn't out of the question and possibly going beyond that. I'm not saying that would happen. I'm not even saying they're going to beat Bama. There's a lot of concerns I have that I don't know if we're going to be able to do it. But I'm just saying, you beat A&M, you get a top 10 matchup with Alabama with college game day in Fayetteville, you know, crazier things have happened. You find a way to win that game. Just like last year. I mean, it was a one possession game and you're looking at the rest of your schedule going, okay, we've, we've got a chance. It's not going to be easy. There's definitely right. some games we could lose. We could definitely lose that Mississippi state game. We could definitely lose that Ole Miss game. We could definitely lose that game at BYU, but you're not looking down at the schedule going, Oh man, Right. We've got a team that's just so much more talented than us, like a Georgia or a Bama or something like that. If you get past Alabama is what I'm saying. So they're thinking about that. But from a coaching standpoint, what I don't know if people really realize is that since the situation with Petrino, every coach that's been hired at the University of Arkansas has basically been in his shadow, including the one that's there now. And no one's going to want to hear this in the Arkansas fan base, but yes, Pittman had a phenomenal season. Yes, he's restored the program from where it ended up being. He still has not reached the same heights of what Petrino did. Now, I believe he will, but to me, that's kind of that threshold to finally get out of that guy's shadow, so to speak, is either go win 10 games and go to a New Year's Six Bowl or, you know, finish the season – 11 and two or whatever, and, and be in the top five, top, whatever. To me, that's when it's like, okay, we found a guy we don't need to, con- you know, because at least me as a fan, I just think, man, what Petrino did, he captured that lightning in a right. bottle and just, so anyways, there's that hanging over and Pittman acknowledges like I got out coached. He outcoached me. And even after the game, they kind of embraced for a minute and someone caught it on camera. They read his lips like Pittman leaned in and like said some things in Petrino's ear. And then he said something like, go, go, go do it. You know, take, take this thing all the way. But then the last thing he said, you can call me. And so some people are speculating, like, I wonder if Pittman was going, hey, Right. Because if you look at what Petrino does offensively, it's exactly what Pittman wants to do offensively. He's just not like a, he's not an offensive coordinator, right? And I love Kendall Bryles, so I I, I, I want to keep him as long as we can keep him. But I do think he'll have some opportunities to be a head coach soon. But what I'm saying is, is I believe that 
Pittman wants to run a pro-style offense with a dual-threat quarterback, and that's essentially what Petrino does. But what Petrino is a genius at is, I've said this before on this podcast, is what he calls FTS, feeding the studs. He has his best players, and he always has creative ways to get them the ball, and they make plays. And so, anyways, it was just a weird game. Here he is. He's got all these former Arkansas alum who are, like, supporting him. I mean, they want the Hogs to win. And it was crazy because he ran like some fourth and one plays that I, I, it's like literally the same play he ran against Georgia back in 2010, where it was a play action and Chris Gregg is wide open down the field, runs the same play. And so as a fan, you're going, oh my gosh, this is like watching Arkansas in 2010 and 11, but it's in this shape of a FCS team. Right. Anyways, so it was a weird game. I'm not going to overreact to that. I don't think that's an indicative of, what the rest of our season will look like, or do we need to be worried? No, I think it was a weird game. I think it was good that, you know, on paper it was a trap game, yeah. right? In between South Carolina and A&M Bama. But yeah. um, I don't know. I do have some concerns about my hogs just, you know, on, on the back end defensively, our receivers. These next two weeks are going to be pretty telling. And I'm done with that. I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm good. But I needed to get that out. Understood. Understood. <laughs> We're moving on to week four, man. Uh, what we're looking forward to before we wrap this thing up, um, dude. I'm gonna tell you who I'm looking forward to in week four. It's not a, it's probably not on most people's radar, but it is on mine. I think I had two, but I want to see where your other one lands. Okay. Um, TCU SMU. Ooh yeah. For Texas people, that's a pretty, that's a good, especially in the Dallas Fort Worth oh, yeah. Metroplex. Yeah. That's a great game. You got Sunny Dykes. Who is coaching at SMU? Who's up at TCU right now? Um, SMU's pretty look good. TCU's undefeated. SMU's two and one. Um, is it like the battle of the frying pan? It's something they something they like play that. for. Yeah. They play for something like that. But dude, that's a big deal because what most people don't understand is TCU and SMU are normally comprised of that Dallas Metroplex of talent. Right. Um, a lot of those guys they they know each other. They've been playing against each other since Pee Wee. Um, it's to me that's and you know I've been to the TCU SMU game um, after living and it's a fun game to go to um, if if, you, if you've never been and so I like Sonny Dykes I love what he did at SMU I was actually <clears throat> I feel like he's kind of been one of the coaching hires that people haven't really paid attention to coming into this season mm-hmm. because of so much everything else is going on yes um but I, I I I've been trying to keep an eye on TCU to kind of see if he could take that SMU plant uh, that plan that he took with. Hey, come home. Let's make Dallas great. You know, which I thought was really dope what he did at SMU and led those boys to be pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing if he can now do that same approach at TCU, which probably has, I would say, a little bit more funding going into that football program, mm-hmm. um, being a part of a big, being part of a big conference, and essentially almost being, I say, for the kids you're recruiting now, has probably had a bigger impact name wise than SMU has. Um, obviously, if you grow up in Dallas, you understand what SMU was. It's the aura that's never left. Right. But I think over the last decade, TCU has probably been the more prominent program. Um, I would say that because even when they recruited my brother, and that was back when I think Dalton was finishing up there or a couple other guys were there. And you go, mm-hmm. Wow. And, I, and TCU's put a lot of money into their facilities, yep. a lot of money into their football program, um, which they actually do this really cool thing of what um, – when they when you come up for your visit, it's very unique. They put all the recruits right in front of the boosters, but you don't know. So, um, you know my dad, when we took Ryan up there for the recruiting visit, 
this guy kept um, talking to us, like some mm-hmm. older guy. And my dad was like, man, this dude keeps talking to us. And he's like, oh, watch this. Watch what they do when the players run out. Like, watch how the kids. I think it's so great that we do that. And so my dad was like, fine. Like, so, you know, what do you do? And the guy, like, tells him or whatever. And uh, and my dad's like, he looks at his ring. And he goes, oh, did you graduate from here? He's like, oh, yeah. Love TCU, man. Great. And I was like, this is genius. They sit you right in front of their, like, most powerful boosters. Right in front of the money. <laughs> right in front of the money. And these guys are pitching the program the entire game. That's nothing to do with why I want to see this game. But it's always one of my favorite recruiting memories, even though it wasn't for me. It was for my brother. Um, but I'm excited about that game. It's on ESPNU. I'm going to watch it. Um, just really interested to see what Sunday Dykes and um, just living in Texas in that Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. It's a good game, and yeah. I want to watch it. And then Rhett Lashley being at SMU, who was Dykes' coordinator when they first took over the SMU program and helped yeah. you know, get it get it to that 10-win stature. Um, dude, mine's going to probably feel a little out of left field, but it's honestly a game I'm looking forward to watching. It's really hard for me right now to, to think of anything other than Arkansas A&M because that's right. such a big, game, a big game for us. For um, and like to your point, Florida, Tennessee, I'm just not as amped up, especially after Florida almost losing to South Florida. But, I, you know, you could make the arguments trap game. Um, that Clemson wake, I'm just looking at some of the top 25 matchups. Mm. It just doesn't – dude, it's this Stanford-Washington. Hmm. And, and because, one, you've obviously been very high on Washington since before the season started. And essentially everything you've been projecting them to do is exactly what they've been doing. Stanford's got a good squad. They do. And I want to see this matchup because, like, against – I watched Stanford play USC, and they moved the ball at will against USC. It's just when they got inside the five, they would turn it over. It was, like, the wildest thing. Then they made some adjustments in the second half, and they they really sort of stifled USC's offense. But Stanford, if you don't know, uh, and especially if you're getting back to that DFW area, they have a, a young man by the name of EJ Smith, who is the son of Cowboys legend Emmett mm-hmm. Smith, and he he does a little bit of it all. He's kind of been he kind of is filling that same role that like Christian McCaffrey was it Bryce Love where mm-hmm. they get that running back who kind of do a little bit of everything. And so that's what he's doing. Plus I want to actually watch Washington because you talk about what they have the potential to be. Then they go out and do it. And then we talk about it and I just still haven't watched them. And I want to see them because they could make the pac 12 interesting and it's a late game. I'm, I'm growing very fond of having a good late game on once mm-hmm. the dust settles. Cause I'm going to be probably stressed. I'm either going to be pissed off or I'm going to be very excited because that's going to, when that game starts to be about when the Arkansas game is ending. And so it'll either give me something to like unwind to because I'm on like this ultimate high, or it's going to give me something to kind of like, you know, build myself back up through so I can get a good night's sleep if we lose. But (laughs) man, that's mine. I just, Outside of that, I, I don't you know. You know what else I'm I'm kind of looking for, and I, I don't know how good it'll be, but this USC Oregon State game. Yeah, I know Oregon State's a little sneaky. They they've been a little sneaky. I I don't think they'll beat USC, but I think they could be a good game. Um, and then outside of that, obviously we got whiskey versus Ohio, Ohio State. State. Yeah. Um, so that there'll be some interesting games, but I'm actually most looking forward to probably the SMU 
TCU. I think that's going to obviously outside of Michigan open up conference play. Yeah, especially with that one being right out right out of the gate. I'll keep an eye on that Kansas Duke, but I don't really care for that game as much as I would have loved to see how they could have game done day, college game day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then your boy, they got your boys at Iowa State as a favorite over Baylor. Um, mm, so interesting. If if you guys gamble, I feel like that's free money uh, as Baylor is the underdog. At Iowa State, yeah, I guess we'll see. Well, all right, man. Yeah, like you said, it was an okay week last week. Okay, week of football. So, so we're hitting conference play, starting to ramp up. I think, you know, this is where we really find out the men of the men and the boys of the boys and who are preseason Cinderella's and who actually has it. Who are the contenders and who are the pretenders? Yep. That's well, what, we uh, know Georgia is probably going to win it again. So I, yeah, just don't, see, I right. don't see anybody beating them, bro. I don't either. I, I'm just I hoping the game. I'm hoping was, for a good first round matchup. Like, here's what needs to happen. Bama needs to lose during the season, and then they need to lose in the SEC championship game. That way, the first round game for the CFP, I say first round, the other game, the two three matchup for the CFP <laughs> will be a good game. Like, give me give me a USC Michigan game. You know, give yeah, me a I would, give I would me, live for that. Yeah, something like that. And then uh, you know, and then Georgia can just whoever, whoever. Because I don't see. I, I've looked at Georgia's schedule. Um, and we can. They play Kent State this week, demolish them. They play Missouri next week, gonna demolish them. They play Auburn the week after that, demolish. <laughs> Vandy the week after that, demolish. Then they get a bye week. Then they play the largest cocktail party against Florida. Gonna probably demolish them. Yeah, coming off a of bye week too. Coming off a of bye week, then they play Tennessee. Now here's what I'm gonna say: I don't think Tennessee can. But if Hendon Hooker keeps looking good, but they haven't really played anybody, so I think this week will say a lot of who he is. But they're gonna be Tennessee. Then they play Mississippi State. This is the most intrigued game I do have on their schedule is against Kentucky. How good will Will Levis and Mark Stoops look by that time of year? The problem is Kentucky's scheme is very dependent on the front. Yep. And they're just not going to move Georgia's front. They're just not. And it's a creative scheme, though, so maybe they can throw some things in there. I, I like your Tennessee play better just because of what they do offensively. The problem is it's like Kirby Smart has cracked the code on how to defend the RPO game. And a big part of it is because he's figured out what – certain guys have to be able to do. And then he goes and he's able to recruit the guy with the ability to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So like what he's done covered, not everybody can do because you have to have a certain type of player at sort of that, um, uh, linebacker safety hybrid spot. Yep. Like you've got to have a unique type of athlete. And then of course the fronts he puts together. I mean, you know, when you're getting pressure with three man rushes, you can defend anything on the right. back. <laughs> um, and like I, I just to your point, I don't, I don't see it happening. But yeah, I, I would say I like Tennessee more than I would Kentucky. I think, I think, right? It, just because I feel like Kentucky, their stuff is they're they're a line of scrimmage. You know, Tennessee's not. Tennessee's no, a not. spread you and make you defend the entire field. And I think that is more. That's more more um, probable or has more of a chance against Georgia than than a team that, you know, is it's a line of scrimmage. Down, it's going to come down to Hendon Hooker, man. What, yeah. Is he really who we think? 
is he really who they're trying to make him see? And I hope so. I, I like the guy, I think. And is this Georgia defense better? Like, how does how is that feels possible? Like it, is, bro. it feels like it is. It does. It's, I, mean, I it went does. and watched the game against South Carolina yesterday. I watched the replay of it, and I was just like, it's unfair. Yeah. It's unfair. It's Brock just, Bowers is a freaking Gronk 3.0. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, anyways. No, I got you're not beating Georgia. <laughs> I know. That's. I guess I need to start that. No one's beating Georgia. It's, it's just not happening. It's crazy. I mean, I guess it's kind of nice that it's a different team, but I just don't want to be the same thing where they go undefeated, they get beat in the SEC championship, and then you get, you two know, they, they put they bump Georgia to two, you know, put Bama at one, or they'll put Bama at three. You know, I, and when I say Bama, I mean a one-loss Bama. But mm-hmm. Or if they're both undefeated. If they're both undefeated going to the SEC championship, it doesn't even matter. They're both getting in. Right. What I would prefer is if they're both going to get in, play them against each other in the first round. Yeah. Let's do it. That way we at least get – well, at that point, you'll get two good games. Yep. Or just don't play the SEC championship. Say, both these teams are going to be in anyways. We're just going to let them play in the CFP. It would know. be nice. But, all right. All right, fans. Well, it's been real. We uh, we appreciate you guys. Um, hey, enjoy the rest of your week. Hopefully your team wins this week. I love college. College football. I love March Madness.